internal misogyny is the water I didn't see as a fish. You know, like fish live, go all their lives and they don't understand what water is. It is just so inescapable and therefore so invisible. Badass We are the League of Badass Women. 10,000 voices strong. Female friends. Non-binary. Inclusive. Walking the walk, talking the talk, transformative conversations on gender, power, womanhood, work, the community, and back again. Perspectives from Boise to Beijing, gathering to radically redesign leadership. Join us and be heard. Welcome back to the League of Badass Women podcast. I'm your host, Valerie Orth. For those who don't know, Power Talks are intimate discussions hosted by and for League of Badass Women members, based on a curated topic by the League. Internalized misogyny is the first topic in a two-part series. This episode features three brave badasses who share their very personal stories about where internalized misogyny has played out in their lives, as well as in the lives of women who attended their recent Power Talk in Portland, Oregon. Because of the emotional content, this was a very difficult episode to edit, I'll admit, so it's a little longer than the others. And still, while we're diving into extremely complex territory, this is only a tiny fraction of it and of the stories themselves. So there are more resources in the description of this episode on SoundCloud. And also, due to discussion around domestic violence, listener discretion is advised. Okay, let's get started. Loyalty and keeping others safe. They trade offs that you have to do in this journey and understanding the anxiety that it comes in, sh- even the anxiety that comes in sharing your stories. And a couple of the members that were here share really deep stories. And even though being a safe space that it was, there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of bravery in sharing very deep stories. That was Linai Vaz. She's the director of textiles and sport apparel for a major global brand. She also has her PhD in behavioral science. She's a former Olympian and all-around empathy advocate. The next badass requested to be kept anonymous. There were stories shared of a particular generation of women who had experienced, you know, all of them had experienced abusive relationships at some level. This was the reality of my own mother as well, who's of a similar generation or a semi-generation older. And there was just this like hushed silence in the room when this started coming out. It was that therapeutic, you know, when that therapeutic thing starts happening in some of these power talks. I will say on behalf of the younger generations, like shock because some of us grew up with it. Well, I guess quite a lot of us grew up with it, seeing our mothers go through it. And we're just like, can't believe that this is just so widespread across cultures, across countries. And God, like what a shitty, quite frankly, what a and shitty still going. world. Yeah. yeah. And still going. We're still accepting. Some of us accepted it on some level to, or allowed ourselves to get into that situation again, you know, mm-hmm. I, am I, am I being, I, I'm getting a little bit emotional, I guess. So I can't even clearly articulate that because there's this fear that even uh, us more enlightened generation or the ones coming after could still allow themselves to get into those situations. I think, I think that's what I was kind of on the edge of feeling was like, wow, can't believe that it's still happening. We thought these were stories of yesteryear, really. Yeah. You know, marriages, long-term marriages that held maybe domestic violence, right? I think that was the common theme. 
Mine story, I had this idea of loyalty and this idea of shame because mm-hmm. I grew up in a Catholic family and also with a family that never had divorced before. And I was living in a different country, having to adapt to the culture here and being an immigrant in a different space mm-hmm. and had gone through a very difficult situation where there was violence involved, the domestic violence involved. And finally, having the sense of doing the right thing, which was staring me at the face for the longest time, only when and after I received the permission from my mother over a telephone call from when my lawyer called the police to have the police filed on my behalf a restraining order, which I probably should have done six months before. Mm. But only when my mom said, this is okay, please go ahead and file for a divorce. You have my permission. That was then when I finally said, okay, I can do this. Rosemary Colliver is a yogi in her 20th year of practice. She's an entertainment lawyer for 18 years. She's from Los Angeles, but now living happily in Portland and is the stepmom of incredible teenagers. One thing that was great is we had from 20-somethings up to Mm -hmm. 70-somethings. And it was the ninth daughter. Her first statement was about how much respect she has for her mom. I mean, just and almost to a teary point of what... Lanai has gone through as a woman and where she has come to and just how she looks up to that so much. But then she had this story about in her job, young, just starting out, brand new from college. And the like, first comment that her supervisor said to her was how pretty she was. Yeah. Right? Like, look, this is the prettiest girl in the entire organization. And what kept coming out, things that were resonating repeated was this shame, self-worth, embarrassment, you know, all these emotions that we put on ourselves for being in that situation, period. She could not have changed what he said to her in their very first meeting, but there was a a shame that came with just even being in that dynamic. Mm. I think that fit also in the trade-off story. Mm-hmm. And the other story that was uh, very similar, but again, from a domestic point of view, was somebody that came out in the room and saying that from very early age, eight years old, if she was going to come here, she would have to out herself. And even though she knew this was a safe space, was still uh, causing her a level of anxiety and she, showed, she told her story from a standpoint of the trade-offs that are necessary for you to do in the world of today, how then she went through this whole charade, so to speak, in, in order to be loyal to her parents, to marry a man, to have two kids. And there was some level of violence involved in the marriage as well, and how now she is finally free of that, but how... Mm, how, how powerful the notion of loyalty and to taking care of others and keeping others in her life safe that led her to totally deny herself all these years and now come to the realization it's okay I don't have to be in, a, in this marriage and I don't have to be um, accepting 
of the norms of others or the way I live. She denied her true sexuality in order to be loyal to her parents because she got shamed into it, got married, had two children, lived out her life, and then got a divorce like last year. It's quite raw for her still. She convinced herself she was bisexual. Nobody knew that that's who she was. Yeah, she basically Uh, felt that in this new environment with these people who didn't know her, that she was going to have to kind of almost relive the same thing. And it was part of some of the stories, these trade-off stories Mm -hmm. of, you know, well, I put up with this in order to get to the point I wanted to be in my career. One of the stories that came up that was mine is that I realized recently, as I started at a new studio with the owner, we were in a conversation, is this comment that came out about being just one of the boys, just one of the guys, that has come up so many times in my entire life. All my friends were guys when I was in high school, and it really, with all of this and this unpacking and kind of prepping for the power talk, made me think about, you know, I mean, it it is the water that I couldn't see as a fish, for sure, but the kind of at the moment I became aware of that and then I'm in this room with this new you know my new boss and it's like well do I say something do I not these trade-offs that we make of like well you know I've only been here a few days and and this woman had been talking about even after she realized that this relationship and that her husband was abusive she went from marrying a man and having children in order to placate her parents and her culture and her family to then doing a trade-off for her own safety because she felt that going through the divorce and everything was going to put her children in more danger. So then she was trading off her own safety for what she felt like the safety of her children. One of the takeaways was how can we as the league or as women or whatever create safer spaces or tools or opportunities so that those people in that alone moment of feeling that they're making a trade-off, whether for safety or for their career, that they can feel safe stepping in and saying, I- I'm not doing this. And I know I'll, these people have my back. More than half the room had uh, direct experience with domestic violence. Correct. Which is actually shocking. I think that's shocking. There were 12 of us, right? It took a big chunk of the conversation, but we all felt it was very valuable and very important. The irony is that some of the self-sabotage that we're talking about actually comes from that nurturing tendency that these women had. And is that a feminine quality? Don't know. But all I will say is that that's what was going on in so many of these situations, right? Like, I will commit to this gender role because... This was for me the biggest takeaway from and the link to this internal racism thing. You know, I introduced myself saying I'm Indian and that tells you everything you need to know about my internal misogynist. I mean, because I think it's, you know, it's kind of true. Um, and that was actually a realization for me just going through the material. I, had, I, I can't believe I hadn't figured it out before. Yeah. 35 years later. Yeah. <laughs> It's a very macho culture overall. It's difficult to say that, right? Because India was one of the first countries to have a female prime minister. And my father very proudly claims that in in support of of our progressive mentality. But I think he would also be the first to understand that there are these unjustified expectations on women and her role in the family. A very strong sense of duty 
as a as a daughter or a sister or a mother i've seen that really kind of tie up my own mother's life the word machismo mm-hmm. comes from portuguese comes from south brazil where i'm from when i came back after years of studying in the united states and with my masters my phd as a doctor i stayed in brazil for about 2 years was the most i could actually muster to to endure because about 8 months into my job i was called into the dean's office as a professor the only female professor in the whole entire south of brazil in this federal state university i thinking you know what did i do wrong and what is the problem that somebody didn't like the tone of the conversation the books that i assign or you know something that i may have done incorrectly and i couldn't find anything and finally when i went to the dean's office he told me that it came to his attention that people were thinking that was very strange that i didn't dress sexily enough like a woman should at that point i decided i needed to leave the country <laughs> the other thing that was interesting about that story is that the dean also referred to Lenai as Lenai rather than Dr. Baz whereas all the men with PhDs were all referred to as doctors as doctors yeah and some of them actually just had masters and they would still be called doctors so i realized at that point that the the honor or the fight or the desire to fight to change the culture would have to be for another generation it was way too much on my shoulders to try to fight that having at that time my daughter being 5 years old i really had the responsibility to um just fight it from another level and i felt if i came to united states back where i felt that things were not like that that what i was and who i knew was not as important as what i know and that was his being my experience when i studied here prior to coming back that i realized i had a reverse culture shock coming back home there was much stronger than i would have anticipated stronger than family ties and the benefits of being closer to family that i decided before the sake of my daughter to get away from that so i could fight it from afar hopefully being a good doctor here in, in academia here or whatever the work i could do here bringing honor quote and quote to my culture by being away from it was more important Next you'll hear Rosemary discussing a woman's story who is at their power talk who had been an executive at Ace Hardware in the 1970s. She was on a call and they were looking at the, it was like the very beginning of the world wide web as opposed to the internet mm-hmm. and they had a consumer interface um that Ace Hardware was using of course it had been all you know constructed by men and blah 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 and they were on this conference call and she had been trying to appropriately and in a professional way explain what her criticisms were of this user interface and was being spoken of you know talked over and mansplaining and everything else was going on around her and there was another woman on the call who stopped the conversation and directed this woman I want to hear what you think about this user interface and she said that at that point mm-hmm. she gotten so frustrated mm-hmm. that she just said I think it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get to a point of frustration that when finally people's ears are open the way you communicate what you're there to be heard for 
you communicated in a way that probably doesn't present it as powerfully as you know because you get to you've gotten to this level of like well yeah i just think it sucks just by calling it out naming it is really important so you can be aware of it and basically the whole story about how you know the, the water i don't see as a fish if i can name it then i will be able to fight against it and be more aware we could spend 3 months mm-hmm. meeting 3 hours a day over this topic mm-hmm. in yoga this morning we were talking about how everything we do in life you know whether it's our relationships or you know everything is a practice you know it's a practice mm-hmm. that we have to have intention for and take the time for every day and mm-hmm. i was really thinking about that with this topic and mm-hmm. then I think people really came away from it with this is an active practice that mm-hmm. I need to own in my life in my relationships it's not like you you know take a pill and boom all of a sudden you understand it and you're outside of it One of the things I really loved that came out of the discussion was, uh, I think we do tend to give ourselves a hard time for when we fall short of holding that standard, and there was this kind of like, hey, let's not make the guilt or shame like a meta occurrence. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Yeah. And the importance of doing that. Yeah. And maybe also finding a partner to help you with that like an accountability partner where you can share that moment of internal misogyny that manifests itself because i think i personally um one of the things i really want to hold myself to like you rosemary i was in this one of the guys kind of profession uh, back in london and yes i deliberately moved away from it but i do ask myself what will i do when i am back you know i ran away right i'm in portland it's easy to be progressive here it's easy to walk the talk what happens when you're faced with the opposite side again yeah of course i think all of us have spoken out before but is it enough to keep quiet sometimes just to keep the peace you know or do we force ourselves to confront and of course i think we'd all like to be the person who maybe diplomatically but still brings it up and says hey calls it out you know even with our loved ones yeah. and i think that will take practice if i'm being and i think recognizing like we were talking with your daughter about recognizing that calling it out mm. may not necessarily change that person who has right. committed that act in that moment or even ever in their life right but i think one thing it does for ourselves that we need to do is Mm-hmm. a part of the tree of forgiveness. I mean, I think it is part of that right. growth is to right. be able to stand up and say I'm going to be brave. Yes. And in that you're forgiving yourself. Yeah. So, of yeah, overcoming the internal misogynist by forgiving, mm-hmm. by being patient, by saying no, by keeping going on, by keeping on. We didn't force it out. It wasn't like a deliberate like, oh, okay, and what about abuse? But you know what? it's totally natural that the word abuse or the or the the notion should come up with misogyny right like i think that's my earliest associations with the word with guys who basically hated women right. and detested them and condemned vulnerability and manifest that uh through violence so i i do think it was really interesting i mean ho- horrifying really uh, at some level but I'm sure this is a memory that many women have and that contributes to their own internal misogyny. Some of us have had siblings, myself included, who treated my mother like she was, you know, less than 
or 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 uh, sort of condemns uh, whatever it is, whether it's a vulnerability, her nurturing, or or just condemns her, um, you know, detests her. A lot of that I put down to her having seen her being a less powerful character in some situations, right? Because you know she she got the abuse that she did, both physical and and verbal. And then I asked myself, maybe all of us have some of this in us, all of the kids. We must carry some of it. I think I have caught myself. I was ashamed to admit that I had on occasion maybe reflected that misogynistic treatment that I had seen my mother subject to towards her myself as a young person. And yes, as you mature and you learn and you, you deal with your ghost past, you kind of learn to draw it away. But that just sparked that thought like, huh, how much of this is actually because we've seen it at, at a very extreme state? I have in my effort to assimilate being an immigrant to this country and being thrown here into the world and corporate America and having to, you know, with ambitions, succeed and climb the ladder and all of that, really have kind of adopted this persona of being a little bit more aggressive, having the answers and really thinking about how my voice came across and have a little bit less of my mannerisms of being a Latina have all of that muted down as much as possible so I could be seen as uh, one of the guys and a little bit more measured, less passionate, because if I got one more review that I was too passionate one more time, I was about to puke. And so I had to then train myself to not be so passionate and that meant to that meant exactly and so that meant being a little bit more uh of the traits that were not me as a person but being me a little bit more of the traits of being what leadership in corporate america means and so it was uh interesting that i made that change so successful and it's kind of sad really But it is a larger story to be told about the things that we have to do and the struggle of trade-offs that we all have to go through. I don't think we can ignore how much misogyny or the patriarchy has been informed or perpetuated via abuse. Correct. And that it's like the one feeds the other. And I, and I think it's just something that we, that, that cannot be ignored in this kind of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it was once, it was sort of a, once it came out in our conversation, the first, I can't remember the first person that touched upon, it sort of opened the gates and it, people felt more secure and more um, free to talk about it. And so definitely became then a focus of the conversation. I was happy that it did because it's so, such an unspoken talk about the, you know, the water for the fish uh, aspect. And it's, it sometimes brings shame. I know very few people know my story because I don't go about it, you know, talking about it all the time. Um, well, it doesn't, I've know. always felt that it doesn't support. Yeah. Like, well, how can you, how can people think I'm a badass if I lived in a battered women's shelter? Exactly. And so, yeah. But it's the most, (laughs) both actually and figuratively violent way that men say, stay in your lane. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For me, it was um, in a realization that I really didn't have to have uh, to be in a relationship uh, in order to be myself. And for the longest time, being very young, and the story that I shared, and, and, a, and a teacher one time when I was 11 years old telling me that I couldn't be a, a doctor because girls could not be successful because they couldn't uh, stand the sight of blood. And me internalizing that. So, yeah, I don't like blood, so I'm not going to be a doctor. She may have cured cancer by now. <laughs> Who knows? I imagine right. if when I had been a doctor, she would have cured something by now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I internalized this message so much that I was fragile that I couldn't be a doctor because an 11 year old that didn't like the sight of blood. And I internalized that as particularly because I was a girl and not because I was 11 year old. And, you know, I never told that to anybody for the longest time. And then making decisions such as uh, the decision I made a 19 year old to marry because I thought that I needed to be around, uh, you know, be protected by a guy. And in, 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 the, in the kind of violence that originated from that was just, you know, coming from the culture that allow me, that allow things like that to exist. That I couldn't be by myself or I couldn't be a doctor or I couldn't be consider myself successful unless I had a male by my side. To me, that was the why that I didn't see when I was back in Brazil back in this culture that was so machista and so male-dominated that in order for me to be okay, I did the things that I did. And it wasn't until much later in life when I free myself from that or I call it out the water that I really then was able to uh, understand, you know, what happened. It's a hard one for me still. A couple decades ago, Rosemary lived in a battered women's shelter. What is most difficult with this topic and with this power talk and and the prepping for it and and the the recognizing of the internalized misogyny is that I did so much work after that to not not buy into that. And it, it saddens me that it's still there. Yeah, to not buy into misogyny. Yeah, to, I, I did so much work, and it probably is why that I do come across much more aggressive, particularly in my career. And that was sort of what I took away from that was like, fuck no, is anyone ever going to fucking tell me what I'm going to fucking wear, what I'm going to eat, who I'm going to hang out with? Like, that was like, that was the, I mean, Butterfingers are my favorite candy bar. And I wasn't allowed to eat them for years. So I actually, I took a Greyhound bus from the shelter from New Hampshire to Seattle over six days. When I got off the bus at the Greyhound station in Seattle, I bought seven Butterfinger bars and I ate all of them. (laughs) What launched me from that day to the life to where I am now was no, it was just fuck no. It was like, I, I will call my shots. I will be me. And so it was so hard for me prepping for this to realize that I still, the programming of this world and society and everything, that there is still these, this water that I can't see as a fish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, think you can, I mean, I think you can, you all 
can definitely see it. Or we, the fact that we're having this conversation now and that you have the, the power talks and you have new friends now, probably in the community, I imagine, from going. You're out of the water. <laughs> it's just a matter of... I feel out of the water now, but I didn't, yeah. you know, I mean, as of the last two weeks, that happened 20... I was left the shelter 20... What was it? The other day was my anniversary. It was 27 years ago. Yeah. I spent 27 years yeah. in the water. Yeah. After thinking I already so yeah yeah it's this idea too of not being defined by it right when something like this happens to you and I know when I was a, an abused relationship and had to um, file for uh, restraining orders and have all of that and finally have a voice and say this is not acceptable and is okay for me to file a restraining order because I must to protect myself and my kids soon after that then switch was like I'm not going to be defined by this. I'm not going to let this define the rest of my life. This is something that happened because of the circumstances, but I now can and will take control and take control back of my life. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Topics were very heavy. The discussions were very deep. The level of individual bearing souls in front of everyone was surprising in a way, to me. The very end and very quiet throughout the whole conversation was this idea of positivity and sisterhood and a final hope for the future. We were almost like high-fiving at the end for a moment. It's like, wait, this is sort of odd, but it, it, didn't feel co- you know, it didn't feel forced or it didn't feel unnatural. And I felt, uh, I think there was just the liberation from just putting this out there and discussing it. And uh, it was a great deal of positivity, which was uh, very, very hopeful and, and very happy to have seen that. A call to action for a stronger future. Correct. Yes. Really, we are in the search for respect. And respect is uh, what um, equality or what feminism is really after. To be truly seen. Thanks for listening to the League of Badass Women podcast. Produced by and music by Valerie Orth. Mixed and mastered by Dismix. For more info, visit us at leagueofbadasswomen.org. Email your questions and comments to podcast at leagueofbadasswomen.org. Thanks again to our featured badasses of today's episode. And thank you for being a badass.